you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. All right, welcome to the NFL Report. We are almost done with week eight. I am Steve Weich with James Palmer. JP, we have got the Jags, winners of five straight. We've got Kirk Cousins, the Vikings quarterback, out injured. We're going to have a lot more on that, a lot of perspective about the trade deadline. We also, Mark Ross, former executive with the New York Giants and Eagles, he's going to help us walk yeah. us through the trade deadline stuff. And, of course, Jeff Chidea's first raid First read, we're not going to have raids yet. And Jane Slater also no. coming to talk about the Cowboys. Will they be active at the trade deadline after they just drubbed the Rams? But, JP, it's also the eve of Halloween. All right. So That's right. Saturday, yeah, Saturday, Dee and I went to a Halloween party. You know, I don't really like to come out of character much, but I, I did put on a Jack Skellington costume. Um, and got oh, rave, it got rave reviews. You. Got rave reviews about that. But, but what about some of your great... Hollywood memories, yeah. whether they be a long time ago or something pretty current, bud. I have to say, this is the number one holiday in the Palmer household. My wife, oh. my son are just obsessed with Halloween. I mean, our house is insane right now. People do Christmas lights. See, we got purple lights all throughout the front of the yard right now for Halloween. I remember back, though, one year I, I played ice hockey as a kid. I thought maybe if I, wore, I was a hockey player, wore my rollerblades, I'd cover more <laughs> ground, fill that pillowcase up, and really just take care of business in the neighborhood. Well, you know, like Philadelphia, man, my the sidewalks are all cracked, all destroyed and everything. I was left in the dust by all my boys. Like I was way behind. They're going up to houses. I'm getting wrecked. I had to kick the, the skates off and, and try to catch up. It was a great idea. It did not work. Yeah, I'm sure your calves and your shins were uh, quite sore from rocking the rollerblades <laughs> yeah. and, and your lack of well, candy. Well, I pads on for every time I fell. Yeah. <laughs> oh, hey, well, one of the great things, you know, growing up in North Minneapolis, I lived right by Hall of Fame defensive and Carl Eller. He was about 10 houses away. So oh. like the coolest thing, like you never approached the big house uh, in the neighborhood except for on Halloween. And he or somebody in his house, it was a long time ago, they'd hand out autographed pictures. And back then, that's when the football players took pictures like with their hands over their heads. Oh, let's go. Like, that's great. You know, Frankenstein look. So Carl Eller, him and I talk about it when I see him at the Pro Football Hall of Fame. One of my favorite players ever, number 81 for the Purple People yeah. Eaters. Go ahead, JP. Andre Andre Johnson used to give out old receiver gloves with the candy down in Houston. It was awesome. He'd collect them all from you know up until up until Halloween, and he'd give them out to all the kids. I remember him telling me he was so excited. Dre in that monitor, I'm gonna give all my gloves. It was great. <laughs> Had to be the best Halloween treat ever. But JP, yeah. let's get to Week Eight because we had some big wins and big losses, which really could impact yeah. you know not only the standings but Maybe the psyche. So let's start this segment off with bigger news. The 49ers getting dusted by the Bengals for their third straight loss or the Bengals looking dominant in their third straight win, all of which have come over NFC West teams, by the way. I'm going to say the bigger news is, this might be out of order, but the bigger news for me is Cincinnati coming out and playing the way that they went and took care of business out of this buy. And number one to me was Joe Burrow and the way oh, he yeah. was able to move, the way he was able to use his athletic ability. I don't think people understand, Steve, how athletic of a player Joe Burrow is. When I've talked to people in Cincinnati, they're like, at practice, he's been clocked at 21 miles an hour. I mean, that's moving. Like, he is dynamite on the basketball court when he plays against teammates. And he focused this past offseason on his athleticism and his explosiveness the calf injury happened. We weren't able to see any of the work he put in this offseason because that was his main focus until this game. You saw some explosiveness from his lower body. Him go out there and run for, I think, four first downs in this game as well. I think he rushed for like 44 yards, but also right. obviously throwing the football all over the yard. A Joe Burrow that is healthy, playing the way he's played. I think the last three weeks he's completing almost 78% of his passes, which is just astounding. This was a game, to me, the biggest news was 
a Super Bowl contender is back playing like one, and an MVP candidate is back playing like one. Joe Burrow, 28 of 32. Folks, that's only four incompletions. Is that good? <laughs> yeah, that, that's not bad. Uh, three touchdowns, 134.8 passer rating. He was amazing, the way he was moving around the field, and then he'd get up with yeah. that killer. He had it back. I mean, he, you could tell he's healthy. He was oh, feeling Oh, yeah, he it. was amped. Hey, but this is why the Bengals are going to be dangerous moving forward. Their defense looked back. Their defense looked like it oh, was yeah. how we are used to seeing it. And you even saw Lou Anarumo barking at some players or some coaches for the Niners at the end of the game. Let's go, Lou. With the way his front played, they were all over Brock Purdy. He was under constant pressure. And then the linebackers. I mean, Logan Wilson, look at this play here by Pratt. That's the play of the day. Unreal. And, you know, Kyle Shanahan said a huge mistake by Purdy. You see where they are. They're in the 10-yard line. But the way their defense harassed Brock Purdy is why folks should be very high on the Bengals, but also the 49ers. Brock Purdy, look at all the giveaways he had. This is a concern mm -hmm. because over the past three games, including Monday night where he had some picks, he has not looked right. Now, Kyle Shanahan has said, JP, that Purdy – some of these were miscommunications with receivers. He's tried to force a little bit, but he didn't seem to be seeing things the right way. And this could be something, and I haven't talked to anyone yet, where without Debo Samuel and their teams are taking away his first read, he's having to pat the ball for a, you know, a second longer, pressure's getting to him, so maybe he's trying to do a little too much. Prime example, on that play by Pratt, Kyle Shanahan said that was supposed to be a handoff. They botched it. Yeah, he tried to make something happen. Yeah. And that resulted in a mistake. So teams are kind of getting on the 49s without Trent Williams and Debo Samuel in there. There's a buy for them to get healthy. But also Purdy needs to maybe take a step back and not try to make too many things happen because now we're seeing the wheels come off a little bit in that regard. I'm, I'm going to say this. I'm going to. You mentioned the wheels. I'm going to pump the brakes a little bit, Steve. I, I'm not that concerned about Brock Purdy. Yes, the middle of the field has been a bit of an issue. That's where these interceptions have yep. come. Obviously, yep. I think one was dropped and one was taken back by a penalty. This could have been a four-interception game for Brock Purdy. But what jumps out at me is you mentioned Debo Samuel not being there, Trent Williams not being there, and then they got behind. This is not a really a, a group that is built to really play from behind right now that's with Brock the, that's Purdy. That's the issue. Operating that's at the, the quarterback spot. Yep. And what happened with that, Steve, right? They got rid of running the football. They abandoned the run, and George Kittle said it best after the game. When we don't run the football, that wide zone run game that we're so good at, it takes away a lot of plays in the passing game that we're very successful with. The bootlegs, the play action, a lot of stuff we've seen Brock Purdy be very successful with. And Kyle Shanahan admitted getting away from the run yep. was something that he regrets, and it impacted Brock Purdy in a sense. But I will say this to defend my man Brock, because this is the show, Steve. He's still in the running. We are always defending Brock Purdy, it seems yes, like. He's are. still in the running. Everybody in that locker room said we were in this game because of Brock Purdy, the way he went out and played. what I think his 365 passing yards, and I think he led them in rushing with 57 rushing yards, was still a pretty decent performance to keep them uh, in line. Let's move on to the other game that I wasn't in Denver for, Steve, that we want to break down in the first half, but it was a massive game. 16 straight losses to the Chiefs came to an end. Roll it, LC. Four-man pressure. Russell in the pocket. Floats one in the back of the end zone. He's got Judy. Judy runs underneath him. Denver. Russell in the pocket. Bounces around. Can break contain. Throws the ball back of the end zone. Touchdown, Denver. Cortland Sutton. Mahomes in the pocket. In trouble. Tries to climb with stiff arms. Bonito throws the ball on the run. That ball is intercepted. Justin Simmons. Simmons in Kansas City territory. Get out of bounds, Justin. This is a huge win for the Denver Broncos as they have beaten the world champions, breaking a 16-game losing streak. Well, that's the voice of Dave Logan, the voice of the Denver Broncos. Steve, what is bigger news off of this game? The streak being snapped by the Kansas by the streak being snapped by the Denver Broncos, and they looked like a real football team these last couple of weeks, or what Kansas City went out and did offensively in this game. Yeah, bigger news is the Broncos for the second straight game looking like a very complete football team. Now, I'm not sitting okay. here saying they're gonna go on the type of you know, winning eight out of nine, that type of run to maybe go to the playoffs. But I don't think we can throw dirt 
on the Broncos like we were earlier this season. Russell Wilson has looked steadier. The overall offensive functionality has looked far more Sean Payton-like in rhythm, mixing up the run and the pass, not putting too much on anybody. But, JP, it has been this defense that had been a train wreck early in the season, which has made the Broncos look legit. I mean, they were all over Patrick Mahomes. They were hitting Mahomes. Like I haven't seen Mahomes get hit all season long. They seem to be confusing him a lot in the secondary. And remember, it was just a couple weeks ago, James, as I throw it to you, we didn't think this defense was going to be much and that they were going to start unloading players at the trade deadline, which, of course, is Tuesday. Steve, they weren't going to just unload players. There were rumors, remember, going into that Thursday night game in Kansas City a few weeks ago that they were maybe unloading their defensive coordinator in Vance Joseph. I mean, this team was historically bad through the first portion of the season. And I think, you know, you and I know VJ, and he's got a great smile. And I think that smile's probably ear to ear right now this week because he has figured out how to get this group playing together. It took a minute. What don't we have in the NFL, Steve? Patience doesn't really exist anywhere. And it took a minute to get what they had in the previous regimes with kind of that Vic Fangio style to what VJ runs, which is a little more aggressive, blending it together. When I talked to people in Denver last night, it was this. We are now finally figuring out how to play within this system, play as a whole as a defense. And what they were able to do in this game was cage Patrick Mahomes. Mix things up on all three levels, have a spy at times on him. You can't get too wide, right, or else he's going to find those lanes up the middle. Their pass rush lanes were really well spread out and really well put together. I I, I thought the world of the way this defensive performance was, and real quick I'll just say, not a whole lot of panic for the Kansas City Chiefs in my mind. It's not bigger news. You have the game in Germany coming up you know against the Miami Dolphins that's a team you got to prepare for like crazy and you just a week before a game I was at you beat the Chargers and it seems like you have the division locked up this was kind of that game to where maybe you made a little bit of a slip up in terms of how you evaluated the Denver Broncos neither one of us now think much of the NFL world is too much is too worried about the Chiefs you know who is worried no folks who might be on the move and when we come back we're talking trade deadline And this injury to Vikings quarterback Kirk Cousins, we've got Tom Pelissero and James Slater joining us on the NFL Report after the break. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower, 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Welcome back to the NFL Report. James Palmer, Steve Weich with you. And this is the maiden voyage for our own Tom Pelissero, NFL insider. And why not, Tam? Tom, take your time away from you on maybe one of the busiest days of the year for you. So that's figured why we'd uh, make this the day that you uh, you join us for the very first time, Tom. We had a big trade right the day before the start of this deadline, really, uh, on Tuesday. So we're taping this on Monday. What does this trade for Leonard Williams do more for you in terms of the Giants side of things or the Seahawks side of things? James, this is one of those trades that really makes sense for both teams here because the Giants have a player in Leonard Williams who is really talented, but he's in a contract year realistically with some of the young guys that they're going to have to pay in the coming years here. Williams was probably not going to be in their price range. And so they end up getting really good compensation here. It's a second-round pick in 2024, a fifth-round pick in 2025 from the Seattle Seahawks for Leonard Williams. The Seahawks have continued to look to fortify their defensive front. They've made moves. They brought back Frank Clark, obviously in free agency back in March. They signed Draymond Jones to a huge deal. Now you add Leonard Williams up front as well, who's a really good fit when you look at the way that Pete Carroll wants to structure his team and his defense. So my understanding is there's no new contract in place. 
The Giants are paying a majority of Leonard Williams' remaining money this year to facilitate the deal, basically buying, so to speak, a better draft pick here. And for the Giants, again, they get multiple draft picks here. They clear a little bit of money off their books, but for a team, again, they need to free up some resources as they move forward here. If Leonard Williams had walked in free agency, it would have been a third-round comp pick in 2025. Instead, much like the Von Miller trade a couple of years ago, going from the Broncos Mm. out to the Rams, this is going to be big-time compensation that the Giants get back, and the Seahawks can only hope it works out as well for them as it did for the Rams on Vaughn. Yeah, great great explanation there, Tom. And, <laughs> yeah. and as we kind of continue a, a, a deeper peek at this trade deadline, Kirk Cousins, tor- torn Achilles, out for the season. Do you think an injury like that puts the Vikings into the trade buyer situation because they've got Jaron Hall there. Do they want to add anybody else or just kind of go man off the street develop practice squad guy and try and roll out a season that right now has turned a corner for them in a positive way. Well, I would say, Steve, the Vikings were always going to be in a unique position here in terms of being able to balance that building for the future, but also having a team that they think has the opportunity to win right now. So the loss of Kirk Cousins at a time that you've won three consecutive games, that you've got Jordan Addison coming on, TJ Hawkinson's playing the best he has all season, and that defense looks better and better during this winning streak. It was a gut punch to lose Kirk Cousins. There's no question about it. I don't know that it substantially swings the pendulum in one direction or another. The biggest trade piece that they have in terms of a seller would be Daniil Hunter. It would take big-time compensation Mm -hmm. to get him both before and after the Cousins injury. In terms of the Vikings going out and getting another quarterback, I would just tell you that's what they've been talking about since Sunday night through the day on Monday. What makes sense for them to bring in a veteran here? At minimum, they need another quarterback in the room until Nick Mullins is ready to come off IR, which is probably still a couple of weeks away. One way or another, based on where we are right now, the challenge of getting a new quarterback and a new system up to speed, I would anticipate you're going to see Jaron Hall, the fifth-round pick from BYU, getting his first NFL start on Sunday against the Falcons. Yeah, Tom, you're right. The way Daniil Hunter's played lately, that price has probably gone up over the last couple of weeks, the way he's been performing on the football field. Let's go to another quarterback injury, though, in terms of Matthew Stafford. We know they have Rippon there, in a sense. But how does his injury, we're not entirely sure how long he could be out with the hand or the thumb or whatever it is, impact what they want to do organizationally, though, Tom? Well, we know that the Rams have a quarterback in Matthew Stafford who is willing to play through just about anything. If he can functionally be out there, he'll find a way. Having said that, there's not a lot of quarterbacks, and we see a few of these a year, who hit their thumb that hard on a helmet on their throwing hand and are able to get back into the lineup immediately. They do have a backup quarterback in Brett Rippon who they like. I would anticipate that they would probably be playing him in the short term here if Matthew Stafford ends up missing times. In terms of organizationally, they're another team that when you look at their roster, they got those veteran superstars, guys like Aaron Donald and Cooper Cup. Mm -hmm. Matthew Stafford is certainly on that list as well. But they started to move on from some other pieces this past offseason, trading away Jalen Ramsey, trading away Allen Robinson, trying to free up resources and going with a really young roster. It would take a lot, you would think, to get one of their superstar players out of that building with the Rams here. But when you're in a position like they are, coming off a tough loss to the Cowboys, looking upwards at the top of the NFC West, but still in striking distance with a really good coach in Sean McVay, there's a lot of different opportunities here. I would just tell you, I have not heard of the Rams actively pushing or shopping anyone to this point. I've also not heard that they are doing what they've done so many times in the past and aggressively trying to deal future picks to bring in more talent. Yeah, Tom, it'd be real interesting to see if somebody calls about Cooper Cup or Aaron Donald, and Donald does have a no-trade yeah. clause, to see if they move off of him, depending on the severity of Matthew Stafford's injury. Tom P., we know you are super busy right now. We appreciate you taking a couple minutes. Got to have you back on the NFL Report soon. But go, Did you go have ahead. fun, Tom? Did Handle you have fun? Stuff. This is great. Love it. Where <laughs> else would I want to be? Yeah, I could tell. Thanks, guys. I could see you it go. on your face. I could right, see it on you. your face, Tom. Now, one team that we heard is not going to be that active is the Dallas Cowboys at the trade deadline. But here's Jerry Jones talking about that a little bit more. Can you add in what he's, you know, the way he's moving about, uh, making plays with his feet, helping overcome for the running game that has not been there as you guys open? I just want y'all to keep making him mad. (laughs) (laughs) No, seriously. You know, it motivates him to uh, be challenged. And uh, he uh, practices that way, and I'm just glad that our fans in particular, but that everybody can see when, uh, he's got some things working for him. And then, uh, of 
course, our defense special teams backed him up out there today and gave him a lot of opportunities. So uh, uh, just a great game to have for our fans here at home. All right, that was Cowboys owner GM Jerry Jones talking about his quarterback, Dak Prescott. But we're here joining Jane Slater not to talk about Dak Prescott, but about their future moving forward with potential trades. And, Jane, do you expect the Cowboys to, to really be active in any way in the trade market? I don't, although I would go ahead and just give this a little bit of a disclaimer. I said this in the offseason, okay. and Jerry went out there and made trades for Brandon Cooks and Stephon Gilmore, and the Trey Lance deal was so out of left field that he didn't even consult his head coach, telling us he doesn't need to. Now, they got him for a fourth-round pick, and interestingly enough, as we're talking a little bit about the Minnesota Vikings situation and Kirk Cousins, I did do my due diligence and at least reach out to the Cowboys and say, have they picked up the phone about Trey Lance? The answer was no. I said, do you see yourselves possibly mm. entertaining that? Because obviously you've got a Dak Prescott that's playing well. You've got Cooper Crush, Cooper Rush rather, that's under contract for the next two years. I was told, quote, anything can happen. But basically what they're saying there is they would have to give them up a lot of things in order for them to pick up Trey. I don't think he's necessarily a huge leverage piece for the Dak Prescott extension, but it does help to have him there when you're talking to uh, France, who is essentially Dak Prescott's very hard-nosed agent, uh, still, I still think that would be a little bit of a stretch even for Minnesota, though, given his lack of NFL experience and not getting a lot of reps even in Dallas. So I don't see that happening. I'd also like to put to bed, we talked about this on the Insiders earlier, what about Derrick Henry? The Cowboys can't seem to get their running game going. Derrick Henry would cost them a lot. I don't see them making that move, and he's – not exactly a young buck either. You just moved on from Ezekiel Elliott for that. And then Patrick Sertan was another one I saw kicked around. Another one, I think that the cost would be a little bit too high. And I think they like the production they're getting out of guys like Deron Bland, who now is tied for receiving touchdowns on this team. You've got Jordan Lewis and you've also got Stefan Gilmore. Let, let's go back to... Uh... Deron Bland, Jane. I mean, I, yeah. I love when we talk players that are that are just playing out of their minds and are not the household name outside of the fan base that they play within. What has Deron Bland done? Because he's had to do a lot of different things in terms of the way he's been moved around within this defense. Yeah, I mean, they've moved him from the inside to the outside, inside, outside again. And I certainly think he had a really impressive rookie season, but I don't think they expected him to do as much as they're asking him to do this season. He does seem to be a little bit of a ball hawk at this point. And, you know, they mm -hmm. got him in the fifth round. I actually caught up with him post game yesterday and I said, do you have a little bit of a chip on your shoulder? Do you feel overlooked? He, you know, he essentially said he did. He was a guy that started out at a small school that went to Fresno State. But again, that is kudos to the scouting department and guys like Will McClay. A lot of Cowboy fans want to go ahead and knock the Cowboys for not making a lot of these trades or big moves. But look at a lot of the guys that they draft and develop and then re-sign. That is what they love to do in Dallas. They don't have to give up uh, a lot of these picks that they covet and to Ron Bland proving to be one of those. Yeah, and, and Jane, you know, for the folks in the podcast, they can't see it, but your pup is waking up, and uh, <laughs> he's, he's having, having a really good stretch right there. Get some action back Behind, there. But, but yeah. real quick, you, you talk about Deron Bland, you know, having a cross-chain from slot to the outside. Remember, his first game back was right when Trey Diggs got hurt. They move him outside, he gets roasted, and now he comes, he comes back. He's been fantastic since. But what about what Dan Quinn and the guys mm -hmm. in the defensive staff have done and moving pieces around, because we've seen Marquise Bell, a safety, who now is essentially the will linebacker for the Cowboys, and what that versatility helps them do when they come to match up a lot of these teams that go empty set or sometimes go heavy in the backfield. I'm not checking out of that conversation uh, and saying I'm bored. I'm on my phone. But I wanted to – there was a screenshot last night where they oh had uh, Dan Quinn. Basically, it was uh, right before that Parsons hit on Stafford, and there was this really interesting alignment. And I reached out to a buddy, and I said, what are they doing here? I've never seen this. And they said it was a four-man rush, not even a blitz, dressed it up with really wide splits. They played uh, man coverage behind it with a free safety deep, giving Parsons space and trying to isolate him on the interior offensive line. But I don't know if I can even hold this up. It was Chuck Cooperstein, who's here in the market. It is the wildest lineup that you've seen uh, of the defensive players, but just kind of going to what you're saying, just the <laughs> innovation of Dan Quinn. Again, I don't know if that, that probably didn't turn out great for it you It was guys. awesome. That was uh, great. People certainly, people certainly can't see it on the podcast, guys. 
But, you know, I'm a fan like you and I love, you know, we keep talking about Dan Quinn is an old dog who's come up with some new tricks and it's working in Dallas. Well, speaking of old dog and new tricks, again, your your pup behind you uh, is absolutely (laughs) starting to do some of those tricks. Jane Slater, absolutely great stuff. And JP, as we head to break, is Jane Slater the queen of either the text or the screenshots on the NFL report? We love you, Jane. And Let's when go. we come back on the NFL Report, we'll have more moving forward as we conclude week eight. Look forward to week nine. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower, 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Welcome back into the NFL Report. James Palmer, Steve Weich with you, and we are joined by Mark Ross at a very crucial time, Mark, in the NFL season. One of my favorite times to try to pull back the curtain and see what goes on in facilities And you've been there. You've been in those rooms. You've been in those conversations. What is going on across the NFL right now as we're leading into that trade deadline? What happens behind closed doors and how active is it going to be? Well, James, first of all, you should have a plan throughout the whole season. You're constantly evaluating your team, your pro personnel department, your coaches in conjunction with your GM or constantly talking about your team and making moves, guys on your practice squad, evaluating players on other teams so that you know, how can we get better? Do we need to get better? Do we need to give these young guys a chance that we have here? Where are we as a team right now? Where are we trying to get to? So it shouldn't be, oh man, we're here this week, today and tomorrow. We need to go do something. This should be a constantly (laughs) evolving situation with your team and with your personnel department about, where you are, where you're trying to get to. And now with that, it looks like some wins and losses and where you are in the season now dictates a little bit of it. Wish they would move it back a little bit to give teams a little bit more time. But that's the whole right? other discussion we can get into. Oh, you're but, talking uh, Major you know, League really, Baseball. Yep. But really, that's what you're trying to do. And really, it's taken off the last couple of years. Back in my day, there basically were we didn't really even pay attention a lot to the trade deadline. And even in 2019, 2020, there was only two trades for the whole time. Last year, was they crushed it where it was 12 just on Tuesday alone. So it seems like teams now are mm-hmm. more willing to take a chance and go all in to find that guy that can get them where they need to go or stop draft picks for the future. Yeah, and Mark, we're seeing, we've already seen some trades leading up to the deadline. I mean, Leonard Williams uh, yep. just got moved from the Giants to the Seahawks. We saw Kevin Bayard go from Tennessee to Philadelphia. These are guys with expiring contracts and they're on teams that are struggling sending them to competitive teams so tell me this if you're a seller right we keep on hearing the washington commanders like they could be sellers what does that do to the morale of the guys who are left behind and the coaching staff left behind knowing they're under some directive to start partying with players who they once thought they could build their future around Yeah, you just mentioned the Leonard Williams trade, and Seattle was going to get him because we're close. We're winning the division. We're going to go win a Super Bowl. Whereas the Giants is, well, we're not very good right now. We just lost that thriller to the Jets, and maybe we need to move this money. We're going to lose Leonard Williams at the end of the season anyway. Let's go get him. So, yes, you mentioned the morale, and I've been on two teams, one with the Eagles, one with the Giants that was 3-13. and And there is no such thing as tanking. These coaches, these players, they have so much invested in every single snap where it could be your last. These coaches know that their resume is out there every single game they go coach. So I've never been a part of even on those teams where it's we're giving up this season. But now you see this indication here from ownership and and the, the GM or the coach of the Giants or whatever team is trading away star players. And, yes, that's sending a message saying, we need to move on. And they're looking at the bigger picture of the team, which they have to do. But these other players don't care about that. I'm sure every single one of them want Leonard Williams and the Giants mm-hmm. to be a part of that team because they think they give him a better chance to win. And then once you start seeing that happen, and again, I've been on those 3-13 and teams, the more that season goes on, those other guys are kind of checking out like, 
where are we really trying to go? So yes, that's a real thing. These guys are professional athletes, but they're also real people too, and they see what's going on. You see what's going on, Mark, and then you start going, well, I better put some good film out there uh, yeah. <laughs> for the 31 other teams as well. As I'm, I'm looking out for me and my family, too. I mean, that, that no goes doubt. on as well. And you start having guys sometimes, right, Mark? Like Then you play out of the system, right? And the guys are trying to go do something different or do something extra. Or, or it's, it's interesting to see what happens to some of these teams in the back half. Where we're at right now, though, and let's move to a team that has made, we'll see, a change at quarterback with the Tennessee Titans and Will Levis, what he was able to go out there and do in his first NFL start with four touchdown passes. Do you see what he's doing as something now that they need to change their philosophy and where they stand in this season as we're talking about where teams evaluate themselves and go, Mark, maybe, all right, let's evaluate Will Levis at the quarterback position because maybe we're not winning the division, maybe we're not a playoff team, Let's stick with him and figure out if we have a quarterback. Well, no doubt that. And when I'm looking at this team, and look, Ryan Tannehill, as much as we love him, the guy's been struggling the last few years. Even when they were at their best, it was all about King Henry setting records and winning games mm-hmm. and Tannehill just managing the games. Okay, you go draft Malik Willis for a reason, because you want to get better. Well, he seemed not to be the answer after playing, and now you got Will Levis. You drafted him for a reason. And then yesterday, you saw those big-time flashes of why they drafted that young man. So now you have to give him a chance to play. In the NFL, it's all about consistency of do you consistently do good things well or do you consistently do bad Mm -hmm. things well? And a one-game sample size is not enough for Will Levis. As wonderful as he looked yesterday, you have to let him play. You have to see how these defensive coordinators are going to react to what he does and if he can adjust. That's what it's all about, uh, about being okay, average, good to great in the NFL is how consistently well you can do great things against defensive coordinators and other teams once given that opportunity. So when I'm looking at this team, you have to give him a chance to wrestle away, ride with the ups and downs and the goods and good and bad. So you know where you are next year and you're preparing for the offseason of what you have. Unlike a team that we just saw with the Atlanta Falcons who maybe waited a little too late to see what they had in Desmond Ritter and kind of fooled themselves into thinking he was the guy because of the short sample size that they had. So two different teams, two opposite philosophies of, hey, now you have a chance with Tennessee to see what this guy is. Go play him where the Atlanta Falcons are. I don't know if we want to touch on that, Steve. Oh, no, 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 no. We're touching on this. Go ahead, JP. (laughs) We, yeah, yeah. Before we move on to the Falcons, I really want to. But real quickly, I, I want to ask you, Mark, when you're saying you really want to take a good look at a guy like Will Levis and you want to put him in a good position to succeed, when you have a veteran receiver like DeAndre Hopkins that can really be a comfort blanket for a young quarterback, but he's also in a spot where you could move him if you're in this type of transition. What's the better play, in your opinion, to try to keep Hop to help Will Levis grow? Or do you look in the more long term as well and he's somebody that maybe has some value on the market at the deadline. Well, I think yesterday's game was an indication of what they need to do. I mean, because D-Hop, it looked like the the vintage D-Hop, and he said, no, no, this Mm -hmm. is still me right now. That's not vintage. I can still do this. And then you got Derrick Henry. I thought yesterday's game, we were just going to see a heavy dose 30 carries a game for Derrick Henry and and just limit what Will Levis was trying to do. But it was the opposite approach where he really was airing it out. Those guys were getting deep. You know, all that secondary double moves all day long, guys running free. So I think for Will Levitt and his development, you always want to start a receiver that can bail you out. But it was really about excellent game planning. And he looked confident. You know, he looked confident and he looked mm-hmm. like, I'm going to go do this out here. So I, they still have a chance, you know, and it's not as if you're looking at the AFC and there's a you got a couple teams up top, but they're still relatively in the mix. So see if Will Levis with D-Hop, with King Henry, can go get this done. You want to maximize and have as much support network around a young guy as possible. Keep D-Hop. Let's see what this guy can do with with all his playmakers. Mark, we're real real heavy, so keep this as as tight as possible. But you mentioned Desmond Ritter and the Falcons. Waiting too late to to get a look at him. They made a move to Taylor Heineke. Their head coach, Arthur Smith, is playing semantics, you know, gymnastics with whether it's going to be Taylor Heineke or they're going to keep continue with Desmond Ritter trying to say, well, we have to see medically because Ritter had a concussion. But if you're the Falcons, don't you have to do something now instead of figure it out because they could finish 7-10 and 10 for the third year in a row after spending a boatload of money 
in free agency yeah. and drafting someone like Bajan Robinson, who's a third skill player, you've chosen to protect your quarterback in the top 10 over the past three seasons. And you got Kyle Pitts and Drake London and all those guys. You're like, okay, where are we now? And it just seems when I look at Atlanta and what's coming out of there and the coach speak is there's no consistency. A team wants consistency. A team wants to know who to believe in, what quarterback to believe in. And when your head coach is going out there kind of giving mixed messaging and worried about what the media is thinking, worried about what fans are thinking, that's not the right message to send. I've been around two soon-to-be Hall of Fame coaches and Tom Coughlin and Andy Reid, and they did not care anything about what the team wanted. They would protect their guys. They would protect their quarterback, the team, and it was all about taking the onus on themselves and not worrying about the outside noise. And it just doesn't seem to be that same sort of culture. We talk about culture over overused a lot, but that all starts with the head coach, and he's got to set the tone of, hey, this is where we are. This is where we, we're going. This is our guy. And just be upfront and consistent and yeah. honest with, with everyone going on there. So I don't know what week that's going to happen. But, hey, for the sake of the team and the direction you're trying to go, you got to be the guy, Arthur Smith, to set that tone. Got to be decisive. Mark Ross, thank you for being decisive. Yeah. We're going to bring you back awesome. in, a, in a little bit because we think we're going to have more to talk about this. And when we come up on the NFL report, I think so. Jeff Tadia in the first read section, he's going to talk about those Jets, the Seahawks, and an evolving pair of Super Bowl contenders. <laughs> You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. We're back at the NFL Report. And although you're watching and listening, you also should be reading. It is time for our First Read segment every Monday with Jeffrey Chidea. And his First Read column is at NFL.com slash First Read. And Jeff, you've got some great stuff coming out of Week 8. And that's season-altering wins. And this first team... You start with, kind of caught my attention, that's your 4-3 and three New York Jets. Why was this a season-altering <laughs> oh, win? Let's go. Look, I, I'm bought in on the Jets, whatever, Magic, Mojo, whatever you, Juju, whatever you want to call it, because they keep winning games they shouldn't be winning. I mean, they got to win over Buffalo. Yeah, I mean, 4-3, win over Buffalo, win over Philadelphia. They pulled a win they shouldn't have got yesterday against the Giants, and – you start looking at their schedule, they could easily be sitting here at 7-5 and five yep. after the next five games with Aaron Rodgers, not just sitting on the sideline throwing passes, but walking in there talking about playing meaningful games again. And so, look, they're playing great defense. Brees Hall has made plays for them. People want to beat up on Zach Wilson still, but he made some clutch throws in overtime instead of that win, excuse me, before overtime to get them into overtime, and then he made plays to put them in the field position to win the game. So they're doing everything they can. It's ugly, but it's working. It, it kind of reminds me, Jeff, a little bit of the Steelers, right, this season and what we've seen in seasons past. It's like, just find a way to win. It may be ugly. We'll play well late. We may not do well for three quarters, but we'll find something to happen later in the game. They did this against the Broncos. They did it against the Eagles. And now we saw it once again against the Giants. I love you brought up Aaron Rodgers, by the way. I don't think any player on, like, a season-ending, air quotes, uh, injury <laughs> has been talked about more throughout the course of their time away from the team. But, you know, maybe that is part of the mojo. I've talked to players in that locker room. They think maybe just him being around, throwing the football pregame, you know, keeps some of that juice alive. How about the game I was at, Jeff? The Jacksonville Jaguars go in to Pittsburgh. A physical team, like I brought up earlier, sloppy conditions. And I personally believe this is kind of a signature win for this team because of the conditions I just mentioned to go and show the rest of the AFC and maybe the NFL that you're a physical team as well and can win a game like this. Yeah, people spend so much time in Jacksonville talking about the offense and Trevor Lawrence and Calvin Ridley. That yeah. They overlook the fact that they play really good defense. The yep. Josh Allen is having a really good year. Mm -hmm. They lead the NFL in takeaways. And they they perfected the art of winning ugly. And I think people sleep on them because they don't have that signature you know, blowout Dolphins like 70 to 20 win over somebody that makes you think, wow, what are we dealing with here? 
But you look at the way they've won games, they have a really good feel for themselves. They've been banged up. They're going to get healthy mm-hmm. again. And quietly, they're, they're the best team in the league that nobody talks about. They're going to run away with the AFC South. True. F- five straight wins, Jeff, and they are tied with the Ravens and Chiefs with the best record in the <laughs> AFC. So we better start talking about them. And another team we better start talking about because now they're on top of the NFC West, the Seattle Seahawks. Ford in the backfield. Walker's going to throw. Ball tipped up in the air. Ball is intercepted by Love. Love gets it just inside the 45-yard line. The Seahawks defense does it again. Jamal with the tip. The Seahawks now in great field position from the shotgun. JSN, he gets the throw near side. Turns out field. Got a blocker. Touchdown, Seahawks. Jackson Smith and Jigba. And Seattle goes back on top. I mean, Jamal Adams, for those of you on the podcast who haven't seen it, he didn't tip the ball. He headed the ball. Uh, very David Beckham-ish. <laughs> but Jeff, great. I mean, the Seahawks, they're on top of the NFC West now, 5-2, and two, half game ahead of the 49ers. They go out and trade for Leonard Williams to fortify that defensive front. What can you say about them? You know, I, I like where they're going, and I do believe that even though it's only the mid, midpoint of the season we're getting to, that being in first place, even by a half game, means a ton to, to where this team is trying to get to. I mean, you, you're seeing us, the 49ers really struggle right now. And the Seahawks, they've got, I think, a lot of the things you want to see from a team that can make do some damage in the playoffs. I and mean, Their defense is getting better. They run the football really well. Geno Smith obviously has had his turnover issues, but he is obviously an experienced quarterback. And they've got weapons around him. I think one of the most under, under, underrated parts of what they're doing is there. Jamal Adams being back on the field. Jordan Brooks at linebacker coming back in, who played great yesterday. They're starting to put make that thing look the way Pete Carroll wants it to look, and that makes them really dangerous. Yeah, I mean, getting that win against a good Cleveland team that that had oh, yeah. its opportunities to beat him was big. But again, on top of the <sighs> NFC West, yes, on top of those San Francisco 49ers. So to that point, Jeff, you like to have this great part of your column called Evolving Super Bowl Teams. Yeah. Yeah. Enlighten us on who's on top now because it's two teams you haven't had in there before. Yeah, no, I had to bump the Niners out of there and the Dolphins out of there just because of the way Niners have been there all season. I, I know. They've been sitting. I've, I've been trying to keep them there and keep the faith, but I can't do it anymore. The <laughs> Eagles are 6-1. Okay. and one. They got the best record by a mile. They look, they're playing. Defense has still got to get things worked out, but they're playing really good offensively, and A.J. Brown has been a monster. But my Bengals, I told you guys. Yes, you have. We're, we're, we're going to be there, and they, they made a statement in San Francisco. But what they're going to—they look like the best team yesterday in the AFC, and I think they will continue to show that as the weeks go by. I think what jumps out at me, Jeff, with the change that you've made is it's—it's it's almost like we're now moving forward and going, yeah, the Eagles maybe really are that team. Like we were just trying to yeah. critique everything about Philadelphia at the start of the season. Two new coordinators. We're not getting the explosive plays that we thought we were going to get. What do we do? You know, what are they doing now as, as an encore to making it so close to a Super Bowl victory a year ago? And what we're seeing right now is A.J. Brown out there dominating. I mean, we are talking about Tyreek Hill guys going over 2,000 yards. You know where A.J. Brown sits right now? 1,995 yeah. yards. <laughs> yeah. and he's on pace for that right now. I mean, he's right yeah. there as a chance to go for 2,000 himself. And I think what they also have to go along with it with Devontae Smith and with Dallas Goddard and a defense under Sean Desai that when I talk to people in Philadelphia is starting to get better, Steve, I, I think this is the right play, Steve. I think this is the right play, the Philadelphia Eagles. I think it was time for a change for Jeff. All right, now, now James just mentioned Tyreek Hill. And you have a scouts take part of your column, Jeff, where, okay, your scout that you spoke with said, you know, Tyreek Hill is going off at a record pace one of the things I think you cited was no more lockdown corners. You know, the, the rules are so skirted for him to do this. Please explain, because I think your scout has said some things that has really struck a nerve with me and JP. <laughs> <laughs> me? Well, hey, hey, he pointed out that Tyreek is, is a phenomenal player, but you see this every week. And Living in Kansas City, you see this with Travis Kelsey and other great receivers. There is, there's been a huge shift in how people play defense, and it's because you are seeing – the, the the demise of the lock the so-called lockdown corner and more teams are having to play zone having to do things play that too that too deep look that we've seen for the last two or three years to try to keep uh receivers from Tyreek Hill going nuts but they can't get their hands on people 
Bill Belichick back in the day when he was had his defense going in New England, they would rough you up. They would beat you up. Now you see holding play, penalties all the time. Go to that Broncos-Chiefs game yesterday. I think LeJarrius Steen had three mm-hmm. or four holding penalties. I mean, it's just it's very hard to be physical. And when you can't be physical with guys like Tyreek Hill, it's going to be a long, long day. I'm curious, though, like, are we saying this guy is essentially saying nobody goes up and presses Tyreek Hill because of the way the rules are? I don't know if you can press Tyreek Hill. Like, I've talked to enough corners that his lateral speed and lateral quickness is probably a bigger problem for you than being concerned about getting a penalty at the line of scrimmage in terms of pressing him. I'm just, just, I want your take, Steve, as well, on kind of where things stand in terms of I think the biggest part is moving him around, finding ways. You mentioned Travis Kelsey, finding ways to give these guys space. The creativity of the offense plays a larger part in this, I think. Yeah, look, I I just, you know, I, I know you said the scout said Tyreek Hill's a great player. I'm giving all praise to Tyreek Hill because, one, he's, he's just hard to jam. I have covered plenty of games this season where receivers have been shut down because teams have gotten hands on them. Last year when the Chargers played the Dolphins, they got hands on them. So what does Mike McDaniel do? As James has pointed out, he's motioning him all over the place. We've spoken a lot about that on the show. That's how you keep hands off of guys. What offensive coordinators are doing nowadays is they're moving guys around in and out. So if you try to to travel a corner on a certain player, that's going to dictate exactly what the offense does. So teams don't travel corners as much. To me, it's not a, a situation where you don't have lockdown corners. I think it is more a situation of guys being moved around a little bit more to take advantage of their skill sets, like Tyree Kill's speed and shiftiness um, as to why he's great and because he is in a scheme with a quarterback where it's all coming together. Jeff, you were a DB. I mean, come on, man. You cannot sit here and say that there are not cover corners out there, especially now since teams are playing three, three safety with a cover safety or things like this where guys can actually cover and get hands on people I got to give some credit to the creativity of some of these OCs. Well, there is creativity, but there's also, look, we know that, and I'm not advocating this, by the way, but we also know a decade ago, the fear of getting your head taken off was a real thing. Well, for true. Going yeah. over the yes. middle field. Guys like Tyreek Hill, he goes over the middle a lot. Randy Moss would never go over the middle. No. <laughs> but that back in the day, he was <laughs> running Duke's go routes, but that was it. He, what, you asked him to run a dig, it was a different story. And so that's a part of it. I, th- I do think. The other part of what the scout said was that quarterbacks have a lot more comfort sitting in the pocket, you know, moving up in the pocket and waiting for those deep balls to break open. Whereas before, they were getting, they were getting hit too and hitting, getting hit hard. And so, I, I, look, I know what you guys are saying. I don't think he was trying to, the guy was trying to diminish Tyreek Hill in any way. I think he was just saying this is a different era of football, and the numbers reflect that. I mean, you can't there's so many five thousand yards. We're talking about a guy, two guys having two thousand yard receiving seasons. Hey, real quick, JP, before you get going here. How, you don't have to reveal your no, sources. No, no, real quick. Did you know Jeff was an All-American safety? That's why he's talking about taking a toll across <laughs> receivers coming across the middle. That's yeah. why he's bent out of shape because he used to ring guys up and they can no longer do yeah. it. Right. That's right. That's right. I can't look at today's world. I'm, I'm starting to think Jeff is this AFC scout right here. This is Jeff. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> Jeff is upset. Right. He's not taking that's people right. out over the middle of the Kermit the Frog. That's right. <laughs> Oh, that's right. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Jeff, great to have you again on a Monday. Yeah. Everybody stuff, go out brother. there and read Jeff's article. First read. It was awesome. We love chatting it every single Monday. But Tyreek Hill, we're talking about him. He's playing in Frankfurt next week against the Kansas City Chiefs. For the first time ever, the NFL kicks off in Frankfurt, Germany, with Sunday morning football exclusively on NFL Network. It's a must-see AFC showdown. As I mentioned, the Dolphins taking on the Chiefs. Rise and shine and watch on Sunday, November 5th at 9.30 Eastern, only on NFL Network and streaming on NFL+. Plus. When we finish things up here on the NFL Report, we're going to talk about culture within a building. How does that impact the trade deadline? Steve and I will tell you next on the NFL Report. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. 
and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Welcome back to the NFL Report as we close things up with James Palmer, Steve Weich. We talk about culture, Steve. So much is brought up about culture within the NFL, but specifically with the trade deadline this week. And which teams, in your opinion, have the advantage, not just maybe of an aggressive general manager that tries to improve the team, not just in the offseason, but throughout the course of the year, but maybe has the advantage because he can make any move he'd like because of the culture in that locker room won't be disrupted no matter who they bring in. JP, we've seen two teams who have that culture already do it, right? The Philadelphia Eagles making the deal for safety, Kevin Bayard, and the Seattle Seahawks making the trade uh, for Leonard Williams on Monday. So these are two teams. And look, when I used to cover the NBA, I covered the Miami Heat when Pat Riley was coaching them. And he used to say this, that you have to have a certain locker room that can absorb change, that can absorb a new player or a player of a different feather like a Dennis Rodman, so to speak. And when you look and you look at the Seahawks, right? They've done it for years because they've got a strong leader and Pete Carroll, safe in his job. John Schneider, mm-hmm. great general manager. And they're always, almost always in contention to win it. Right now, Leonard Williams is happy. He's going from a, a losing team to a winning team. Same with Bayard. So I look at some of these other teams, Miami, the Ravens, the 49ers. These are teams that could be buyers in the trade market, and they've got the culture established already within their building to absorb guys. One team I'm curious about, Steve, if they're on the cusp of that, is the Jacksonville Jaguars. This past offseason, they didn't want to bring anybody in. They wanted to start feeling like they could just re-sign their own, right? They re-sign Evan Ingram. They're saying who we have is who we have. Now at the deadline, do they feel like with Doug Peterson, a very culture-oriented head coach, do they have the ability to maybe make a move and feel like that can be part of what they do moving forward. I'm fascinated to see what Jacksonville does if they can be part of that group that you mentioned. For Steve Weich, Jane Slater, Tom Pelissero, Mark Ross, Jeff Tadia, everybody that was on the NFL Report on this Monday, we'll see you on Thursday on another edition of the NFL Report. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.